0: All right, how we doing this morning? You guys look a little tired. I have a quick question. Who here got more than six hours of sleep last night? Show of hands. Did anyone get less than six hours? Show of hands. Uh Uh-oh, less than five hours? Less than four hours? Less than three hours? Did you not sleep at all? You just stayed up all night? You pulled an all-nighter? All right, well, we're going to have to pray for your cabin leader later, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm super excited to be with you guys this morning. I know we're tired. It's 9 a.m., but we have a super important message uh, that we're going to be diving into today, Um, and we're going to talk about some heavy stuff. It may feel a little heavy for this morning, uh, but uh, I know that God has a purpose for having you here, and uh, I believe that this is a message from God's word that you really need to hear, and it's really important for us to unpack together. Uh, So eventually, we're going to Be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 today, uh, but I want to begin with an opening illustration once again. And uh, this is an illustration I've heard uh, many pastors use before, and it's been very influential in my life, and so I wanted to pass it along to you guys as well. But it revolves around something called the monkey trap. Right? The monkey trap. I'll put an image on the screen so you can kind of uh, visualize what's going on here as I explain it. But there's this old tale that this is how uh, people would seek to, uh, like hunters would trap monkeys in the jungle. And so what they would do is they would get this jar, right? And it was uniquely constructed like the one that you can see on the screen. And they would put the monkey's favorite food in this jar, whether it was a banana or some seeds or nuts or whatever it was, and they would leave it out. And so the hunters, would kind of place this trap in the middle of the jungle and uh, sure enough the monkeys would come along they would see you know let's say it's a banana that's at the bottom of the jar there and the jar was uniquely designed so that the monkey could reach his hand in and grab the banana and so the monkey is just you know, super excited, he's you know, found some fruit and he wants to get it out, but the way that the jar is designed is if he makes a fist and tries to pull the banana out of there, it's not gonna be able to fit out. It's just the way the jar was uniquely designed. And so the monkey is technically free to go at any point, right? Like he can just drop the fruit and you know, pull his hand out and he could go on with his day and, and look for another tree or something. But what they discovered is that they would get so consumed uh, by what was in the bottom of this jar and they would not give up trying to let it go. And so sure enough, hunters would uh, travel through the jungles and they would find uh, monkeys just you know, uh, stuck in this trap and they would be able to catch them uh, just by using this simple tactic. And so here's the point of the illustration. Here's where we're going this morning. There are things in life that we want to hold on to so tightly to, but we don't realize they're leading us directly into danger. I want to say that one more time. There are things in this life that we want to hold so tightly to, but we don't recognize they're leading us directly into danger. You see this throughout scripture. We're gonna see it in Ecclesiastes 2 this morning, but let me back up a second and and go to the beginning of the Bible. I'm not gonna make you turn there. uh, Keep flipping to Ecclesiastes 2, but in Genesis chapter three, this is the story of Adam and Eve, right? Most of y'all have heard of Adam and Eve before. Yep, they were the the first male and female created by God. Uh, When Adam and Eve were in the garden, uh, when God created them, There was no sin in the garden at first, right? All things were perfect because it was uh, sinless. They had this unique relationship with God where he was present with them in the garden and and God gave Adam and Eve one command, right? You've probably heard this story before, but the the one command that God gave to Adam and Eve was don't eat fruit from that one specific tree. Uh, But if you were to study Genesis 3, you see that uh, something happens in that story, right? Satan shows up in the form of a serpent, and he starts to tempt Adam and Eve. He starts to talk to them and say, did God really say you couldn't eat that fruit? Satan starts to just whisper lies to them. He's saying, you know, is, is God really saying that to you? Is there a reason he said that to you? Satan kind of puts all these lies in their heads in Genesis chapter 3, and I, I want you to see what it says in Genesis 3, 6. Uh, This verse is gonna be on the screen, it's it's pretty important. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Uh, So the interesting thing in Genesis chapter three is that Adam and Eve uh, knew that they were commanded by God to not eat that fruit, yet it still looked pleasing to the eye. And here's where we're going with that. Sin, oftentimes in this life, you know, sin, a quick definition is it's any thought, word, action, or attitude that disobeys God. So, so sin in this life can often look very tempting, right? It can look appealing to the eyes. You know, the world likes to create this picture that, that sin is gonna lead to this you know, joyful, exciting life, and, and that's actually a lie directly from the enemy. Like we talked about at the beginning of worship, there is an enemy that is uh, present and working against us, and his name is Satan. Uh, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy our joy, and the world paints this picture of sin that it leads to this glorious lifestyle, but it actually leads us down a path of destruction. It actually leads us down a life that is not fulfilling, And this is what Solomon discovers in Ecclesiastes chapter chapter two. So uh, before we get there, I want to give you our big idea for our session this morning. Real quick, does anyone remember our big idea from last night? Show of hands. Yeah, in the back, what do you got? Life is meaningless apart from God, right? So it's not that life is meaningless, period. It's that a life apart from God is going to be void of any meaning. Uh, But our big idea this morning for session number two is that sin is, never satisfies. It's just three words, sin never satisfies. In the garden with Adam and Eve, they discovered that it was destructive. It it led to sin because of Adam and Eve in the garden, we are now born into sin and we look out onto the world and we see so much sinful activity taking place. And in Ecclesiastes chapter two, Solomon is, is going on his journey to discover meaning and purpose in this life. And he tries everything, I mean everything, we're gonna to get to that in a second. Uh, but Solomon tries all these different things to discover this uh, joy-filled purpose life, and he discovers that when he tries to do it apart from God, it doesn't lead towards anything. So we're gonna read Ecclesiastes chapter two, hopefully uh, you're there by now, and we're actually gonna be reading verses one through 11. So I'm gonna read 11 verses with you guys. I know it's a little more of a lengthy passage than we had last night, so I need y'all to to wake up, you know, tap your buddy next to you if you see him starting to fall asleep. Uh, But follow along, we're gonna read 11 verses, and then we're gonna work our way back through and, and unpack what God has for us this morning. So Ecclesiastes chapter two, starting in verse one. Solomon says this. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Uh, But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. But verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Last verse here, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun." So what we're gonna do for our morning session is we're gonna work our way back through that passage, uh, just kinda go verse by verse, explaining what uh, Solomon is is meaning in each of the verses that he just shared with us. And so one of my goals when I'm up here to teach is that I always wanna just make things super clear, right? We don't wanna seek man's wisdom, but we wanna seek God's wisdom, and so I wanna just stick to Ecclesiastes 2 here and go verse by verse and just see what the Lord has for us as we study it together. So uh, starting at verse one, if you look back down at the text, uh, what you will discover is that Solomon is setting out on a journey to find joy and satisfaction in this life, right? You can see it right there in the passage. Solomon says, I'm going to test pleasures to find out what is good. Uh, So Solomon is saying, I'm going to chase after whatever I can get my hands on to try and find a good life, Right? He recognizes, like we talked about last night, that life is meaningless, or sorry, life is not meaningless, that life is short, life is fleeting, Right, so he's recognizing that uh, life is an extremely temporary reality, but he's saying, uh, I'm going to try and get my hands on different things to, to see if I can discover meaning in this life, and so in verses two and three, if you look back down to the passage, uh, Solomon tries to uh, distract himself from the meaningless. One of the things that you see in verse two is that Solomon says, I, I chased after laughter, and I actually discovered that laughter is madness. And that's kind of a strange phrase, right? Laughter is madness, maybe it makes you think of the Joker or something, but, but basically what Solomon is doing here is he's saying that laughter, you know—if that's, if that's all there is to life, what does it really accomplish at the end of the day? And we all love to laugh, right? We all love to you know, tell good jokes and enjoy the company of others. And, and I don't think the Bible is speaking against that at all because actually in Ecclesiastes chapter three, Solomon says there's a time for laughter and there's a time for weeping. So he's saying laughter has to have its proper place. But one of the things I think that, that laughter can do is it can actually distract us from thinking deeply about some things that we need to think deeply about. And so Solomon is trying all of these different distractions and, and discovering that distractions keep him from thinking about what God has for him. And that's one of the reasons I love camp so much, because we get to get away from the distractions, right? Like, isn't it good to just be at camp and, and be with other believers and get to interact with them face-to-face and, and not be so consumed by our screens? But another advantage to a camp is that we get to put some of the distractions aside, And we get to come to God's word together this morning and think deeply about the things that he has for us. So Solomon in verses two and three, he discovers that distractions aren't actually helpful. Let's look down at verses four through eight now. Verses four through eight, Solomon discovers that owning lots of stuff doesn't satisfy. If you were to read back through verses four through eight, you would find that Solomon acquired so much stuff in this life. Like he was ultra rich. Look at the things that he acquires. He says he has houses, he has gardens, he has parks, he has fruit, he has herds, he has flocks, he has silver, he has gold, he has entertainers. He acquired all the delights of a man's heart, yet once again, though he had everything, he discovered it wasn't enough. And I want us to to think in terms of today, right? I want you to picture with me who are some of the most powerful, uh, rich people in our society today. You know, maybe you're thinking about people who, who own some different companies. Uh, one of the places that my mind always jumps to is, is different athletes. Is anyone here a sports fan in the room? All right, I've got an important question for you guys. What football team is it that you support? Patriots, I heard some Patriots. Did I hear Cowboys? Oh, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. Uh, any other football teams in this room? Dolphins, okay, okay. Well, uh, Being from Massachusetts myself, I support the Patriots. And so I grew up, uh, thank you, thank you. I grew up watching the Patriots like every single Sunday. And my favorite athlete growing up was Tom Brady, right? I still think he's the GOAT. You know, he has seven Super Bowls. I I enjoyed just watching him play on Sundays. And this dude, uh, you know, throughout the early 2000s, he was like at the height of fame and popularity right like he was like bigger than i think Patrick Mahomes is right now so so Tom Brady you know he had super bowl trophies he had league mvps he had million dollar contracts just flooding into his bank account and yet there's this interview uh, that you can find from uh, after he won his third super bowl uh, where he's on an episode of 60 minutes and he has a very interesting quote to say and i want to share it with you guys today it'll be on the screen too but uh, he was saying this He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, but I think there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't it. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I love playing football and I love being quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. What I think this quote reveals is that we all have a God-sized hole in our hearts, that we're all searching for something. And what he's saying in this quote is, I had the fame, I had the Super Bowl trophy, the Super Bowl rings, I had millions of dollars, and yet for some reason, my life still felt incomplete. And I think Solomon is saying something similar in verses four through eight there. Solomon's saying I acquired all the riches of the world and yet still it felt like I was missing something. And Jesus talks about this a lot too. Jesus talks about this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths cannot destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You see, Jesus in the gospels, he challenged us to think with an eternal perspective as well. He challenged us to realize that there's more to life than just this physical, material stuff, right? There's other things that we ought to be focusing on. If you go back down to verse nine in Ecclesiastes chapter two, uh, Solomon is gonna discover that climbing up the social ladder doesn't satisfy. In verse nine, Solomon says I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. (laughs) So what Solomon is saying there is like, I basically became like the best king ever. Right? There was no one before me that was greater. I had more stuff than all of them. I was a better king than they were. And so Solomon's saying I was the, the best king that Jerusalem had ever seen. He was the greatest there ever was, yet he achieved all this more fame than anyone. And once again in verse nine he is saying that that too is empty. And the same can be true for us, right? We strive to make ourselves look better than other people. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others. Uh, But when we get caught up in that comparison game, uh, what we find out is that that, once again, is empty. So emptiness, emptiness in in all the things of the world. Uh, Verse 10 of Ecclesiastes chapter two. Solomon discovers that sin doesn't satisfy You know, he uses this phrase here, and I want you to look down at the text. Solomon says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, and I refused my heart no pleasure. You know, Solomon is saying, I chased after whatever I wanted. I chased after sinful desires. The same is true for us when we're apart from Christ. We're gonna chase after sinful things. They're gonna look appealing to us. You're gonna walk down the hallways of your school and you're gonna see other people that are participating in uh, different activities that deep down you know are sinful, you know you shouldn't be participating in those too, but uh, the, the enemy likes to tempt us and think that that is the way to live. Uh, but we gotta take a step back and, and remember what God's word says. There's so many specific instructions in scripture about uh, fleeing from sin, I love what First John chapter 2 says. John writes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If, anything, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever." Right, so John in in 1 John chapter two is saying, don't love worldly things. Uh, The worldly things are gonna pass away, but there is an eternal life that awaits us. The last verse in Ecclesiastes chapter two that we're gonna uh, discuss this morning is that Solomon uh, discovers that the things we tend to chase after are once again meaningless. Uh, When you read through Ecclesiastes, you find that phrase meaningless over and over and over again. It, It seems that everything he was trying in this life apart from God amounted to nothing. It amounted to emptiness. And so today I'm going to close out our session with just two points for us. I know I gave you three last night. I'm going to give you two tonight or two this morning since I know we're all waking up and still getting there. So, so just track with me for these last two points and then we'll, we'll finish up from there. Uh, but point number one, and I'm going to read this very slowly because I want you to think about it. Uh, but point number one is this, chasing sin never leads to the joy that it seemingly promises. I'll say that one more time. Chasing sin never leads to the joy that it seemingly promises. Chasing sin never leads to the joy that it seemingly promises. So sin has this tendency to tempt us to think that it is a good and fun path for life. Right? You may look out on uh, other people at school and, and think that they are living their best life, think that you know, the things that they're doing means that they have an awesome, amazing life behind closed doors, but once again, that is a lie from the enemy. And a theme verse that I've just been mulling over in my mind as I've been preparing all of these messages is John 10.10. We've talked about it uh, during our time of worship uh, for each session we've had so far, but in John 10.10, Jesus offers some very important teachings. Uh, Jesus says that there is an enemy. Uh, Jesus says in John 10.10 that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So what Satan wants for us is to steal our joy. Sin wants to steal our joy. Sin seemingly promises joy. But in reality, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And oftentimes we start to convince ourselves that sin isn't a big deal, right? We can say things like, well, everyone in the class is cheating and you know they don't seem to get caught, so would it be a big deal if I tried to cheat on that test too? We say things like, I, I know this show is terrible for me to be watching, but it seems like everyone else in my class watches this show, so I think I might just try to watch it too. We say things like everyone else in my school has a boyfriend or girlfriend, so I'm just gonna settle for whoever and, and, and do whatever. We fall into these mindsets, but the important principle to be reminded of is that when the Bible calls something sin, it is sin. Right, God's word is very clear. There's no debate with God's word. Remember, this is where we get wisdom from. And this is is very important. I want you to lean in for this right here. God is not the no fun police. If God calls something sin, it's because it's bad for you. It's because it leads to a road of destruction. It's because it leads to a life filled with shame and guilt. And so God is not calling things uh, sinful because he doesn't want you to have a fun life. It's actually the opposite. God is calling things sinful in his word because he wants to protect you. He wants to protect you from the the evil things that that Satan is trying to do to lead us down a dark path. But the second half of John 10.10 is, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life abundantly. Jesus is not the no fun police. There is an exciting life in Christ for you. Jesus is the life. He is the eternal life. But when you are walking in your purpose in Christ, it also leads to a, a powerful, meaning life, meaningful life that we have right now under the sun. We get to have a relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth. That's amazing, isn't it? A life with Jesus is a life that leads to joy. I want you to know that this morning. Here's point number two. Here's where we're gonna close out our session tonight. Point number two is not only does sin never satisfy, but sin has separated us from God. I see a lot of you writing that down, so I'll read it one more time. Not only does sin never satisfy, sin has separated us from God. So not only does sin lie to us and, and tell us that it's gonna to lead to a really good, joyful life, not only does sin lie, but sin has also separated us from God. And in the book of Romans 3.23, it says that uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So everyone in this room, uh, myself, you guys, everyone has done things that have uh, disobeyed God and in our thoughts, our words, our actions. Uh, we've all disobeyed God. And sin is not something that just hurts us in the short term, uh, but God must punish sin. And the last verse I'll share with you this morning is Romans six twenty three. 23. And I know I've shared a lot of uh, verses, but, but this is one that's really important for you to know. Romans six twenty three says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, the result of sin is separation from God. Our God is holy, he is perfect, He is without sin, and so when we sin, we are not like God. Sin has, ref- has fractured our relationship with our God and maker. And since God is a just God, God cannot let sin go unpunished. Uh, but I'm so grateful for Romans 6.23 that it doesn't just end with the wages of sin is death. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We praise God that the verse doesn't end there. Because what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, what Jesus did is he took the full punishment for our sins, took all the weight of our sins and put it on his shoulders and he went to the cross and died a painful death so that our relationship with God could be restored. We don't have to be stuck in our separation from God because of our sin, because of what Jesus has done, our relationship with God can be restored. He is the way to eternal life. We're gonna talk more about that tonight, but for now I'll just leave you with this. If you're here in this uh, session this morning and you're just feeling overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, if you're this, here this morning and you're studying God's word and you just realize that you've been chasing after the wrong things, I want you to know that your sin is not too big for Jesus to handle. Your sin is not too big for Jesus to handle. He is an all-sufficient savior. He went to the cross willingly because he loves you and he wants you to be in relationship with God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who has uh, given us your word. We thank you for the wisdom that we can find in your word God, help us to remember that when you call something sin, you're trying to protect us, God. You're not trying to lead us to have this sad life where we don't get to do things or enjoy things. God, you're trying to protect us from destruction. Uh, so thank you for the instructions that we find in your word. Jesus, I thank you for what you said in John ten ten, that you have come so that we may have life and, and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us so freely, Jesus. Thank you that our our sin no longer has to separate us from God when we turn to you and ask for forgiveness. We thank you so much for who you are and all that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.